It's time for the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is the voice of the working class, Rick Smith. And welcome, brothers, sisters, working class heroes. This is the Rick Smith Show. Thanks so much for being here today. You better listen, my brother, because if you do, you can hear their voices still calling from across the years. And they're crying across the ocean. They're crying across the land. And they will Dear friends, welcome to the Labor Radio Podcast Network profile series highlighting the work of our members. The growing network of over 70 shows in four countries serves as a one-stop shop for audiences looking for labor content. And it's a resource for labor broadcasters, podcasters, and content producers. My name is Evan Papp, and I produce Empathy Media Lab's podcast on labor, political economy, arts, and culture, and we're a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Today, I'm speaking with Rick Smith of The Rick Smith Show. Rick, tell me a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and what led you to organize labor. So Evan, I appreciate you taking a little time for me and highlighting the work that we do here at the Rick Smith Show. Uh, my story, you know, of how I got to radio is, you know, one of by by accident, just fell into it. You know, I grew up as a kid in the housing project on the west side of Cleveland. Uh, basically, I was the the white kid in the ghetto, a minority in a, a minority neighborhood. And you know, how I came to labor was I I saw people's lives get better. Uh, I think I think of the one neighbor we had. Um, he got a job at Ford. Uh, he was a UAW member. And immediately their, their lives got better. Uh, the kids got uh, secondhand bikes. They got better clothes. They got a used car. They had food at the end of the month. And then eventually they moved out. Their lives got better. And for me, the, the message at a very young age was uh, union equals better life. You work hard, you play by the rules. As my mother always said, you, you, you get ahead. And, and that, that progression was important and something that was reinforced when I was a kid. So when I couldn't afford to go to college anymore, uh, I was fortunate enough to get a, a good union job, uh, which, you know, now I look back on it, it was a great union job. Um, and and that's, that was the beginning of it. That was more than 30 years ago. And uh, I'm, I'm happy as I can be with where I've, where I've gone. It's awesome. And you were with the Teamsters, I believe. I spent, I've spent 33 years carrying a, a union card. Uh, the Teamsters, the vast majority of it. And, you know, the reality is, is one of the things I talk about on my show quite often is that, that ability to have a voice in where you spend the mass of your life. Uh, that, that empowerment, that, that, that contract, uh, and knowing that someone has your back has. And I think, I think that's what we've lost a lot of in this country. Uh, that sense of that we have some control. And that's why I think, you know, unions are, are a vital part of what goes on these days. And uh, quickly before moving on, I also was born in Cleveland. Which West Side project housing were you in? Uh, the Riverside projects uh, over off of Puritas, right near the airport. If you've ever flown into Johns Hopkins, you probably flew right over where I lived. Uh, when I was a kid, we used to throw rocks at the plans because uh, that's how close they got to us. Um, but it was, you know, again, it was another one of those, those housing projects where we, we housed poor people uh, because, you know, look, you can't, you can't tell now, but there were many months where we went to the cabinets and there was nothing in the cupboards. 
Uh, you know, the sad reality in this country, we don't treat poor people very well. And in the 1970s, we certainly do it, didn't do it at any better than we're doing now. Uh, so again, you know, you look at these lessons that I've, you know, I've learned throughout my life, and it's part of what we focus on in our program. Yeah, my grandparents on my mom's side lost their house during the Great Depression, and they were the first tenants of the uh, it, it's the Lakeview Terrace in Cleveland, and that was built in 1937 by the uh, Works Progress Administration. So something that we definitely need to bring back. There's a lot of uh, housing issues today. So. so moving on, for those who may not be interested or aware of labor news, why do you think unions and organized labor are important and why do you cover them? It's important because much like politics, uh, it decides who gets what. You know, when I talk about on the program, you know, you know, people say, you know, why do you talk about politics? Why, why is this important? It comes back to something my high school government teacher said. I said, look, at the end of the day, politics is about who gets what. It's the same thing about labor unions. It's about who, divvy, who gets what slice of the pie. Who gets the say in your hours, wages, conditions? Who has say in what, what you endure in those hours that you spend in work, at work? And for me, you know, and again, going back to when I was a kid, uh, I used to deliver the Cleveland Press. I don't, I don't know if you remember the, the old Cleveland Press, uh, but they actually had a labor page where they would talk about labor victories. They had a labor reporter. You know, I know, shocking of all shocking, you know, major newspapers had labor reporters who would focus on the labor beat and they would talk about, you know, the strikes that were going on, the contract negotiations that were going on. And oh, by the way, they would talk about the wages, hours, conditions, and how people's lives were, again, back to what I said before, unions equal better lives how things were moving forward. We don't, we don't, we're not allowed to talk about that anymore. There isn't a newspaper in this country that's got a labor page anymore. Every one of them got a business page. Every one of them's telling you how wonderful Wall Street's doing, how wonderful the CEOs are doing, how wonderful the shareholders are doing. And you know why they're doing so well? Because they're taken from the employees. Uh, there was just a great study done by the Pew Research Center. Uh, that came out and said over the last 45 years, we the working people have been robbed to the tune of about two and a half trillion dollars a year. You want to talk about massive redistribution of wealth? That's it right there in practice. We're being robbed at every turn and we don't even know about it because our news media doesn't focus on it at all. So the people who listen to my show and other shows on the Labor uh, Radio Podcast Network, maybe you're going to get a little bit of that. Uh, and, and the more we talk to each other and the more we start talking about why it's important to get better wages, hours, and conditions, why it's important that we share in the wealth that our labor creates, maybe we'll start doing it. You know, I had an interesting conversation with an Uber driver. Uh, and this is one of those moments where you just, it just kind of stopped me in my tracks. Because uh, I've talked to a couple of them over the years, and, and they all say, oh, you know, I, I need something to do, gives me something on the weekends, you know, I, like their lives weren't complete enough that they got to go driving my ass around. So <laughs> I, not one of them have ever said, I'm doing it because I need the money. Nobody's ever said, hey, I, I got I to I gotta pay the bills. And this is one of those moments where as a working person, we've got to say, look, it's about the money. The employers, they're, they're not shy about saying it's about the money. Hey, we laid you off. No money. Why, why do we as working people not go, hey, it's about the money and we deserve better. We demand better. And again, you know, one of those things, I don't want to go off all day on this, but one of those things that I think is, is important. Let's talk about who gets what. And let's talk about what we're not getting. 
And that's a great segue to talk a little bit more about your show. Uh, you launched it in 2005, I believe. Uh, can you talk about that process of starting your own show? And I mean, being on for 15 years is incredible. And, and talk a little bit about what type of guests you're bringing on as well. Well, we, we started out of, I moved to central Pennsylvania. Uh, where all of my Teamster buddies were talking about how the union wasn't doing it, uh, us any good, how they, we'd make more money if there were no union here. And they were basically spouting, you know, the, the Limbaugh's, the Hannity's, you know, all down the list because it's what they were hearing. So it was my goal, my hope, to add some bit of balance uh, because you go across this country, talk radio is dominated overwhelmingly by conservative voices. In fact, the Center for American Progress did a study back, I guess it's been about 10 years now, uh, that so, showed 90% 90, 90 of all talk radio, uh, they said was conservative. And you go, what does that leave for anything else? There isn't much else because truth be told, uh, they bought it up. They invested in the infrastructure and they own the medium. So it was my thought is, hey, how can I add a little balance? So I, along with a couple of other friends said, let's, let's start something. Uh, so we started on a Sunday afternoon uh, on a local, one local radio station, uh, you know, just for an hour uh, on, on Sunday talking about labor and economic issues. And that's grown to now we do two hours every night. We do a nationwide TV show. Uh, we're launching a, a new venture with ThinkSpot. Uh, we're, we're getting the message where we can to engage people on, you know, how, how is it that we've been robbed for the last 45 years? How is it that we've lost two and a half trillion dollars of wealth each and every year? Now we're on, you know, on 20 stations across the country and all these platforms uh, and grown more than I could have ever imagined. Uh, but it still needs to be more and we still need to expand because look, at the end of the day, the conservative message dominates, the corporate message dominates. And what the corporate message keeps telling us is, don't ask for too much, just be happy you got a job. So about the Labor Radio Podcast Network, how'd you hear about it? What was the process of becoming part of it? And why do you think such a network is important going forward? I, I think it's important because you need to have uh, a collective of, of minds. Uh, you need to have people doing a variance of different things. Um, this is something that I've talked about doing and wanted to have uh, happen for, you know, probably 14 of the 15 years that I've been doing this. Because again, we're not reinventing the wheel. You look at what the right has done and, and the right has done it masterfully. Uh, they have taken what used to be labor's basic organizing and they've, they've really, really improved on it. Um, I, I'm trying to, trying to remember the guy's name, the little, little snot from the, uh, uh, Christian Coalition, uh, but oh, he was Ralph being Reed or there you go, Ralph Reed. Yeah. He was he was being interviewed, and he was asked, you know, how did you how did you build the Christian Coalition? How did you build it into the power that it is? And he pulled out the SWAC handbook, uh, the Steelworkers Organizing Committee's handbook, and he said, "This is what we did. We did what organized labor did." And for me, what we're doing here, uh, what the Labor uh, Radio Podcast Network is, is basic basic organizing. Uh, and it's, it's hearkening back to what labor unions have done in the past. Understand, labor, labor's owned radio stations. Uh, they, they, had, they wrote books, uh, pamphlets, you, know, you name it, they were doing it. In fact, uh, you know, 1952, the Wall Street Journal opined that the labor press was so powerful that they thought that the labor press could sway the election from Eisenhower to Stevenson. 
Um, that was 1952. That was a whole nother era. But if you're going to want to get back to those, you got to start with talking to people. And, and, and I know this is going to really upset uh, some labor leaders, but laborers stop talking to their members. Um, and we've got to get back to it. We've got to be in their ear all the time because you know what has happened? The Limbaugh's, the Hannity's, the whole, all of them, they're in our members' ears. They're in our brothers' and sisters' ears 24-7. It's not just going to a meeting. It's not just sending out a newsletter. It's not, hey, there's a phone call every once in a while. It is constant, day after day after day, 24-7. And there's got to be something to compete with that. There's got to be something that we're pointing our members to going, hey, you want the alternative. You want to hear something else? This is where you go, which is why I think the work that you guys are doing at the Labor Radio Podcast Network is so important. Well, you pretty much are answering my final question that I have, which is looking into the future of organized labor. Where do you see opportunity and hope? I, I tell you, I got great hope in the young people of this country. Uh, the kind of organizing that I'm seeing them doing around Black Lives Matter, around women's issues, around immigration, um, it just blows my mind. And my hope is at some point, all of that organizing that they're doing on all of these other issues comes around to, to the labor issue. Because at the end of the day, while all of those issues I believe are really, really important, the labor issue is still, in my view, the most important issue. Uh, I think Dr. Martin Luther King said, you know, what's the good being allowed to sit at the counter and have a hamburger if I can't afford to buy one? And for me, it's that economic power that's been stolen from us over the last 45 years. It's that, that most prosperous working class status that our grandparents left us that has been taken and in a lot of cases surrendered for mere trinkets that we got to fight for back. And, you know, I talk to these kids all the time who are you know, they're just fed up. They're not going to take it anymore. They're not going to put up with the, the crappier jobs, the longer hours. And I, I, I have great hope that they're going to do the hard work of organizing. Uh, they're going to use social media and all of the tools of the, of the future that you and I probably don't even understand yet. And they're going to leave from my kids and my grandkids something pretty good. Rick Smith, thank you for all the work you're doing. And uh, I look forward to working with you in the struggle and uh, see you in the trenches. Good stuff, brother. Appreciate it. You better listen, my brother, because if you do, you can hear their voices still calling from across the years. And they're crying across the ocean. They're crying across the land. And they're willing to we all come to understand. None of us are free. None of us are free. None of us are free. If one of us is chained, none of us are free. Darkness, they just can't see the light if we don't.